The people who inspired me when I was a child, as there was no TV and as the world was very different, my heroes were in books. So my first real hero was Dr. Doolittle, who learned to speak to animals and became an animal doctor. And oh my goodness, how I wanted to speak the language of animals. So Dr. Doolittle was a real hero, even though I knew he didn't exist. And then, of course, there was Tarzan. When I was 10, I read my first Tarzan book and fell passionately in love with this glorious Lord of the Jungle. Didn't realize at the time how much bloodshed there was in those books. I think it was because we had a different way of looking at the world back then. And all the early books I read about Africa were these early explorers, and they did kill animals. And I didn't really take in the killing of animals. What I took in was the magic of the animals and being out there and being in nature. And that's what I wanted to do. So my heroes were mostly people I read about in books. There's so many ways we can save our planet. What is there without hope? I just want people to find empathy so for all the species we share in this planet. Can nature bounce back? Earth is pretty special because we... Jane Goodall made me believe in my own parents. The Earth is beautiful. She devoted her life to this. Together we can, together we will. What is your greatest reason for hope? I'm Jane Goodall, and this is the Hopecast. Today, I'm talking to Genesis Butler, an inspiring animal rights and conservation activist who's been on the front lines of animal welfare protests since she was just six years old. Genesis is now 13 and has done an amazing job of building support, awareness and momentum for veganism worldwide. Genesis and I have the most wonderful time chatting about animal welfare and how we reach and teach young people about conservation through our program called Brutes and Shoots and hers, Youth Climate Save. I hope you enjoy this hopeful conversation with Genesis Butler. Let me say, Genesis, that I'm really, really excited to have you on this Hopecast. What you've done, what you're doing, is so important in the world today. The message that you're giving to people about food and animals is something I talk about in every single lecture. So my message is amplified by you, and your message is amplified by me. So Millions more people will get to hear and hopefully understand. Do you want to ask me a question? Would that be a good way to start this conversation? Sure. When did you find out, like, your love for animals? Like, why are you so passionate about that? (laughs) Well, I was actually born loving animals with this amazing supportive mother. So when I was one and a half years old, and this is something she told me, she came into my room to say goodnight to me. And there I was, staring very intently at something that I'd taken to bed with me. And it was a whole handful of wriggly earthworms. And she, you know, lots of mothers would get mad because obviously there was a lot of earth and muck and everything. But she said to me later, when she told me the story, she said, Jane, 
it looked as though you were studying them so carefully and wondering how do they walk without legs. So instead of getting mad at me, she just said, well, Jane, I think they need to be out in the garden in the earth. They might die if you leave them here. So we took them back into the garden. You know, I'm sure you've heard the story of how I hid in a hen house to watch how a hen laid an egg. We went to stay on a farm in the country and I was four and a half years old, which is about the time you began your career. You were four or three? I was three about to turn four. I was just four and a bit, so about the same age. But anyway, we lived in London and not many animals in London. And so it was very exciting to be taken onto a farm. And it was the old kind of farm where animals grazed in the fields. And my job was to help collect the eggs laid by the hens. So anyway, I began asking everybody, where does the egg come out of the hen? Because I couldn't see a hole like that. So anyway, I went into a hen house and waited for more than four hours. And I did see the hen lay an egg. And I was really excited. But my mother had even called the police because I'd been gone four hours and it was getting dark. And many mothers would have got angry. How dare you go off without telling us, don't you dare do it again. And all my excitement would have gone. But she sat down to hear this wonderful story. So that was my first real experience of observing animals. So all of that when I was just just more than four years old. I know that you asked your mother where the chicken nuggets came from. And she told you the grocery store, which wasn't the answer that was very helpful, was it? Yeah, that's what she told me. She, Because I was so little at the time, so she didn't really want to, like, say where we actually got it from. So she's just like, oh, like, from, like, the grocery store. But I felt like there had to have been somewhere else where we were getting it from. So I asked her again. And that's when she told me how um, we had to harm animals to get this. And then I was devastated because, like, since I was so little, like, I knew, like, chicken nuggets but I didn't really like think like that's like a chicken like the bird so then when she told me I wanted to go vegetarian but my mom was kind of just like like hmm, like how do we do this because she she didn't know like how do we go vegetarian and then um she told me that I wouldn't be able to eat any of my favorite foods so I told her well let's just go to the grocery store and then we found aisles and aisles of vegan food so then we ended up going vegetarian and then after that I figured out where we got our milk from when she was nursing my little sisters so then um when she told me it came from cows I just never wanted to drink it again and now my whole family is vegan. Yeah well that's really good makes such a big difference you know, for two reasons. And I know you know about all this. You know how it harms the environment. You also know how it harms animals. Of course, it's bad for our health too. And you know, one thing which has newly come up into the news now is because of this pandemic. You know, we brought this on ourselves by completely disrespecting animals. So Genesis, in your campaign to educate people about factory farming. Have you been talking about the pandemic and how factory farms might lead to new zoonotic diseases? Yeah, over quarantine, I started Youth Climate Safe. COVID, it really impacted my activism because normally we go out to protest, so like we have to get out and get active, but 
we can't do that. So yeah, I think it was kind of hard. And we've been talking about this and how more viruses are just going to start coming if we do not switch to a plant-based diet. So we've been talking about the importance of veganism because we want a thriving planet to live on. So we have to make sure that we talk about this if we do something about this so that we can have a planet to live on. Absolutely. In fact, an awful lot of diseases we do actually catch from animals in factory farms. They're mostly bacteria that jump over, but some viruses too. So it's a useful argument because people do care about their own health. Do you talk about the use of antibiotics at all? We talk a lot about like how like vitamins and stuff have to go to these animals because people are always saying like um you can get like protein deficiencies or you won't be able to eat enough nutrients. So we talk about how you can eat it yourself instead of having to eat it through an animal because that's basically all that, that is. So we do talk about that. You stopped eating meat and then became vegan because you care about animals, right? When did you start loving animals? I think everyone loves animals. Like from like a young age, like you're just born to like love animals. I haven't met anyone that's like, I don't like animals because that's, that's crazy. But um, I think just like, I would see them like on TV, like on like the shows I would watch or like commercials, I would see like pigs and chickens. And I was like, they're so cute. So I think knowing like that was what I was eating. Like I wouldn't want no one to do that to like my brothers and sisters. And you wouldn't eat like, your siblings. And that's the same thing for animals. So um, I just decided like, I don't want to eat it anymore. And you wouldn't eat your dog, would you? No. (laughs) Or your cat? No. I mean, I've met a lot and they say, well, these animals in the factory farms, they're just raised for meat. So, you know, they don't have feelings or anything. They're just meat. What do you say to them? When you meet animals, like, firsthand, you can see how they have personalities. They're just like humans, and they're just like dogs, just bigger dogs. When you feel that, like, it's like, why do we harm these animals? Because they're so trusting, and they're so caring. I don't think it's correct at all, because, like, that's like if we all had, like, our whole family, and then it was just torn apart for people to eat them. Like, we're doing this to these animals because we think, like, they don't have feelings, but when you get to be around them, you see how they do have feelings, and um, you can even, like, watch videos and see them, and you can see how, like, when mother cows, when they get their babies taken away, they cry, and they cry because, like, they carry babies, and that's really painful, so um, then, like, you give birth to this baby, and they're just taken away, so... I think you can just see from that, like, they do have feelings. If you're in front of an animal and you, like, see them firsthand, like, the pigs and the cows, and you see how sweet that they are um, and how they just want to be loved, then, like, you feel it, like, wow, like, I I don't know why I've been eating this. So I think, um, like, taking people to, like, sanctuaries, that's one thing that I do because you feel it and you're able to feel, like, the love from the animals from being around them. That's what I used to do when I was fighting to get chimpanzees out of medical research when they were in these tiny little cages. I knew I had to go and see it for myself so that I could talk about it. You began really being an activist and you think that you'll probably not go to university because you want to run a sanctuary, right? Yeah, when I grow up, I want to have a sanctuary. Well, you know, the first animals I raised money for, I was 10 years old, I think. So me and my sister and our two friends, we raised money for a farm that took in old horses 
So rather than killing them, they were rescued to live out the end of their lives in their sanctuary. It was called Cherry Tree Farm, and we had a collection tin. And we used to do all kinds of things to raise money for the horses. I was very lucky when I was growing up. I had a terrific teacher, and that was my dog, Rusty. So if you share your life with a dog or a cat or a pig or a bird, you know that we're not the only beings with personalities, minds and emotions. But I was actually taught that there was a difference and we were absolutely separate from all the other animals, including chimps. And you know now that's not true, but we have come on a little bit. My dad at first, he didn't really know like animals had personalities and that like they care about their babies. So when we went to sanctuaries, the first one that we went to, he met um, a cow and he saw how they just want to be loved too. So he fell in love with cows and he loves like pigs and goats. So I think because like you eat them, so you don't really want to know like that they um, have feelings like us because once you know that, like you don't want to eat it anymore. So um, once my dad found out that they have like personalities and feelings, he never wanted to eat it again because like you know how they feel. So it's important for you not to eat it. And then, of course, all this feeding the animals is destroying the environment, right? Yeah, because these animals have to eat a lot. I think it's really sad because there's a lot of the world that are still like going hungry because of all the food that you have to give to cows and to pigs and to chickens and all the water that they have to have just for them to be killed. So um, it's a huge process for them. And not only that, but they're taking up a lot of our land. So I think it's terrible and it's not good because we have so many other foods that we can eat where we don't need to eat it anymore. So, Genesis, what do all your friends think about what you're doing? I think now um, a lot of youth have been more willing to try going vegan um, because we're starting to realize, like, this is our planet. We can't just expect someone else to wake up one day and be like, I want to make the change. Like, I want to become an activist. So we have to be the ones to start making these changes because we want a planet to live on for not only our generation, but we want a thriving planet for future generations and all generations that um, live on this planet so that they don't have to fight for it like we do. So a lot of my friends, they all really support my activism. I think it's super cool um, of what I'm doing because when you're helping the planet, you can't really be like, like that's a bad thing because you're helping the planet not only for you, but for everyone. So my friends really support me. And some of them have also went vegan because they realized the importance of it. And a lot of them have became activists because I've taken them to protests and I've taken them to sanctuaries. And I think sanctuaries is one place where I always take my friends so that they can meet the animals. Like if they really want to get into activism, because right now there's a lot of youth that want to become activists, but they just don't know how to. I'll take them to protests. All right now, um, there's a lot of environmental groups you can join that are online, um, like the group that I started over quarantine, which is Youth Climate Safe. So there's a lot of groups that youth can join so that they can get involved in the movement from their house. Have you heard about our program called Roots and Shoots? Yeah, I've heard about it. I began it because so many young people, they seem to have lost hope and they uh, they were angry or they were depressed or some of them just didn't seem to care. And so I asked them, you know, why do you feel this way? 
Well, because you've harmed our future and there's nothing we can do about it. So it was at the beginning of young people caring about the environment. So I thought, yes, we have been stealing your future. Your future, we've been stealing it, absolutely. But it's not too late. We've got this window of time. And if we get together, we can start healing some of the harm that we've done and slowing down climate change. There was a little girl, she was about the same age as you when you started. She was three and a half, I think. And she was part of Roots and Shoots. And she was asked, uh, what What do you do? What, what do you do for your project? She said, I work to save bees, plant things in our school garden for bees to eat. So they said, why do you like bees? And she said, well, they're sweet and fuzzy. And if we don't protect them, we'll all die. <laughs> That's a little tiny three-year-old. She's so right. And I tell you, Genesis, these people all around the world, they are changing the world just like you are. So wouldn't it be fun if we work together? Because there's so many problems, there's so much harm being done that we need to join together. That's what we're trying to do, bring together all the people who care and who are working to make the world better. The more we get, the bigger the difference we can make, right? Yeah, I totally agree. I think um, it's it's like the same thing for our group because we have um, a whole bunch of members from all over the place. So now we have... 60 chapters now from around the world and it's just a bunch of youth that want to make a difference because we realize of our planet and how much is on the line so we want a fighting planet to love on so we all want to fight for it so um there's a bunch of youth that are basically just trying to fight to have like a thriving planet to live on um you see how like we're really inspired in how much that we want to make changes. So I think if our groups partnered up together, that would be super cool because that would make a huge change because it's one thing to have like um, a bunch of people, but when you have more people all together united, it can make a huge difference. That would be great. Genesis, when I'm talking to a group of young people, I always say to them, it's one important thing to remember. Every single day you live, you make an impact on the planet. And you can choose what sort of impact you make. But how do you get young people engaged and wanting to be an activist and wanting to make a difference in their life? They can be a teacher and inspire kids. They can be in government and help push through legislation to protect animals. How do you get young people interested? Is it just by taking them to sanctuaries or do you have any other ideas? I think the way that like you empower them and you inspire them is just by telling them like your story or telling them stories because stories can really like plant seeds in a person's head. So it's like, like what happened to you, it could happen to someone else or they could be thinking about that too. So I think that's what I really do is just like tell my story and say why it's so important for people to um, switch to a plant-based diet. But I think right now, a lot of youth are just inspired on their own to become activists because they realize how much is on the line and why it's so important for us to use our voices. Mm. You know, when I was 10 years old, I read the Tarzan books, not the movies, but the books. And of course, I fell in love with Tarzan, this wonderful lord of the jungle. And I decided I'm going to grow up go to Africa, live with wild animals and write books about them. So everybody laughed at me. Now, remember, we're going back almost 80 years. 
in a world that you can't imagine because it changed so much. You know, no cell phones, no social media, not even any TV. So it was just books. And everybody laughed at me. said, well, how will, you, how will you get to Africa? It's far away. You don't have money. We had so little money when I was growing up. Whereas everybody laughed at me and said, oh, Jane, dream about something you can achieve. Not the same wonderful mother. She just said, if you really want to do something like this, you'll have to work really hard, take advantage of opportunity. Then if you don't give up, maybe you find a way. And that's a great message that you can share with, with your young people when you're talking to them. I wish mum was alive to know how many people have written to me or said to me, Jane, I want to thank you because you taught me because you did it, I can do it too. And you've got the same message, haven't you? Yeah, there's a lot of people that always reach out to me and just tell me how when like they switch to a plant-based diet and they realize how important it is, how much that it helps them. It helps them make connections with a bunch of other things. So um, I totally agree with you. And you're making a huge difference, first of all, by what you do, but even more when you multiply it and share it with others. You need voices like yours to inspire them. Thank you. <laughs> so I think working together can make an even bigger difference. Yeah, I think that, that would be really cool. So let me ask you, Genesis, if you meet somebody who really doesn't seem to understand or doesn't want to understand about climate change and the effect that we have on it, they don't want to understand that eating lots of animals is destroying the planet, they don't want to understand these things, what do you say to them? Yeah, I think... Um, right now, there's a lot of scientists that have came out with um, studies and articles on animal agriculture. So um, there's so much science behind this that is supporting this. And there's a lot of climate activists that are saying believe in the science, but it's super important to believe in this science, too, because a lot of people don't really believe in it because it's really making you have to change yourself because that's like what you eat. You are what you eat. So um, there's like so much like facts and stuff on this and there's a man named Joseph Port and I met with him when I was in London he's at Oxford University and he came up with a study where um, he talks about how impactful that the animal agriculture is having on our planet and how they're cutting down our rainforest to put these animals here so that's our oxygen because that's where our trees are so we're losing oxygen it's like we're at war with ourselves because we're doing this to ourselves. So we're putting these cattle there and they have to graze this land. Then they have to get killed for the meat. So it's just ruining our planet. And then there's also another person that I know and his name is Dr. Salish Rao. And he came out with a study also saying if we restored half of our native forest, we'd be able to reverse climate change. And that's only half of them. So I think it's really important for people to switch to a plant-based diet because you're really helping lower your footprint on this planet all also, and not only that, but you're helping the animals, you're helping your health, and you're also helping the planet. You can simply just look it up and you'll see how there's so many articles on this where it's talking about the importance of switching to a plant-based diet. I watched Donald Trump being told by his own team of scientists in the White House, and they were telling him the probable economic effect of 
climate change as sea levels rose and the harm that this would do to American cities around the coast. And they spent 10 minutes telling him this. And he looked directly at this man, his head scientist, and he said, I don't believe you. But what do you do? Yeah, not everyone is going to believe it, but I believe that we are going to be able to reverse climate change and we are going to be able to restore these native forests. So, but once this does happen, then you're going to realize like, oh, like it it was true. Genesis, you must meet many, many young people who don't feel very hopeful about the future. What do you think is the most hopeful thing that's happening right now? What do you what do you think the world will be like in when you're grown up? There is some youth that um, aren't feeling very hopeful because we're like on a planet that's dying right now. So um, I think it's just really important to stay optimistic because if you're always looking for the good in things, um, I believe it can truly happen, but you can you can speak it into existence. You can be like, um, I believe that climate change will be reversed and it will happen. So I think um, there is so many youth using their voice and so many people are starting to realize about this and starting to get active and use their voice also. You know, my greatest hope for the future is all of you young people, because everywhere I go in the world, when I used to be traveling around the world, there were young people telling me what they were doing to make this a better world, not just the climate, but everything, helping animals, helping people, helping refugees, nature will come back. So those are my reasons for hope. Genesis, can you pick one or two really important things that need to change? First, the way that people think of animals, um, because I think that there is still a lot of people that think that animals do not have feelings or emotions and that they're just here for us. And the second thing that I think that I hope will change, I hope there's more people that talk about how animal agriculture is harming our planet because there still isn't as many people that should be talking about this issue because it's a huge issue right now. And there's ways that we can reverse climate change within this issue. So, like, we have ways to do this. We just need to come all together and making the change and being the change. Well, Genesis, I'm really happy that you came onto this Hopecast. Did you have fun? Was it nice to have this conversation? Yes, it was. Thank you. Well, thank you very much and good luck to you. And, you know, let's make some more links between us so we can do even more together. Good luck. Thank you. She would get up at six, brush down the garden, sit there for hours. So she always liked observing creatures. She always had patience, and nothing except having to go to school would stop her. She disappeared one afternoon, and after five hours, we thought, well, we must get the police. It was beginning to get dark. And suddenly somebody said, Blimey, look. And we looked across a field, came a little bit draggled figure bits of hay and straw, eyes shining, said, where have you been? Well, I've been in a hen house, she said, waiting to see how a hen laid an egg. Nobody would tell me, so I just sat there, and now I know.
feel hopeful and inspired to act with the Jane Goodall Hopecast by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and anywhere podcasts are found. I'm your host, Jane Goodall. The Jane Goodall Hopecast is produced by the Jane Goodall Institute. Our production partner is Frequency Media. Michelle Corey is our executive producer. Inar Gaukusha is our producer. And Matthew Ernest Filler is our editor and sound designer. Our music is composed and performed by Ruth Mendelssohn with additional violin tracks from Angie Shear. Sound design and music composition for the Conservation Chorus is by Matthew Ernest Filler. Follow Dr. Jane Goodall and the Jane Goodall Institute on social at facebook.com slash Jane Goodall and at Jane Goodall INST on Twitter and Instagram. Make sure to share about the Hopecast tagging JGI and hashtag Hopecast for a chance to be featured. To learn more about Jane and JGI, visit janegoodall.org and support our work at janegoodall.org slash donate. The Hopecast is a movement of hope turned into action fueled by each of you. To become an official Hopecaster and support the podcast, visit janegoodall.org slash Hopecaster.